Hi, welcome to Restoration Church. Pastor Rachel here. We are getting ready for the Christmas season, and we want to take some time to lament first. So there's a lot of excitement coming up in the in the anticipation, the advent, the waiting of the birth of our Savior. But before that, sometimes there's just this this time that we need to let go of some disappointments to sit with God on some things that aren't the way that we feel like they should be. So lament is a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. There are a way that we bring our anger and our frustration and even our grief to the feet of God. We recognize God as the source of justice and healing and comfort. The book of Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, and it ends with this admonition and promise. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So these words were written, and then there was silence for 400 years until the announcement of the birth of Christ. It is significant that in these closing words of the Old Testament, God makes reference to both Moses and Elijah. They're both seen together often. Um, they both met God at Mount Sinai different times, but Moses with the burning bush and with the commandments that were given to him. And Elijah, he was inside of a 40-day fast and he met God in a cave there. And you can find that story in 1 Kings 19. They also both met Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration, a story in Matthew 17. And in Revelation 11, most people feel like these are the two witnesses. You see, the Jewish people believed that God would either send Elijah back to earth on this special errand to announce the Messiah or send someone uniquely empowered in the same spirit and the same office as Elijah. And in anticipation of this, Jewish homes to this day set a place at the table for Elijah at Passover, just in case this might be the night that he comes to announce the news that the Messiah has come. You see that empty chair and that cup that's filled but never drank is a testimony to this anticipation of Elijah and the Messiah coming. Now, most scholars believe that Malachi wrote this book around 420 B.C., and then there was those 400 years of crickets for the people of God before John the Baptist famous repent for the kingdom of heaven is near declaration in Matthew 3, 2. Can you even imagine generation after generation? I mean, at least 12, maybe more generations just holding on to the hope that the Messiah was going to come back and reclaim the kingdom, reestablish the throne and set the people free. But they weren't seeing this. They were still living very often in captivity to different rulers. Many Jewish people thought that it might be Elijah himself because he had been whisked off into heaven in a chariot He had return rights of sorts, right? But many scholars today believe it was pointing towards John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist has a lot in common with Elijah. 
God predicted John's work as being like that of Elijah, Luke 1.17. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. That sounds like a lot of the same language from Malachi, doesn't it? John the Baptist dressed like Elijah. They both wore garments of camel's hair with leather belts. Like Elijah, John the Baptist preached in the wilderness. Both men preached messages of repentance. Both men withstood kings and had high-profile enemies. For Elijah, it was Ahab, and Jezebel was his arch enemies. And with John the Baptist, it was Herod. So although there was no new prophecy during this 400 years, which is why they call it the 400 years of silence, in fact, much of the former prophecy came to pass, especially from the book of Daniel. Biblical world history was happening right before their eyes and the people of God didn't even recognize it. You see, they were so focused on their version of the answer to their prayers that many of them missed the movement of God that was happening in their midst. I'm going to say that again. They were so focused on their version of the answer to their prayers that many of them missed the movement of God that was happening in their midst. Movement like Alexander, the great recognized as a God, setting this precedent for other rulers, even as he began conquering the lands around him and bringing Hellenism with him to these lands and these classical ideals and humanism and reason that came with that. You know, Alexander's many accomplishments were prophesied in Daniel 8, Daniel 20, 21, 22, and Daniel 11. Well, after the death of Alexander the Great, there was the rise of his four generals that was prophesied in Daniel 8 and Daniel 11. And then came, in a little later, Antiochus Epiphanes. And the Greek language came into common use during this time, inspiring the translation of the Old Testament into Greek, which helped get the word out to so many more people. But Antiochus also desecrated the Holy of Holies. He sacrificed a pig to the god Zeus. And he is probably the small horn that was prophesied in Daniel eight twenty-three through 25. Well, the Jews, they couldn't take this. This was the ultimate disrespect. And so they revolted, led by the Maccabee brothers against Antiochus and retook control of Jerusalem in 165 BC. And the rise and many activities of this dynasty were prophesied in Daniel 11. The temple was restored and rededicated in 164 B.C. Pharisees and Sadducees established within the Jewish religious structure. The Dead Sea Scrolls were hidden and then not even found until 1947. They were hidden during this time. The Roman Empire conquered Israel by 63 B.C., again fulfilling prophecy in Daniel 2 and Daniel 7. And then Herod the Great comes into power and continues to reign throughout the events of the New Testament and the birth of our Christ. You see, in this 400-year period, although there were no new words from God, the Israelites lived in confident expectation 
that some Elijah-like person would come back, announce the Savior who would take his rightful place as king and kick their oppressors to the curb. They would finally get back to being God's chosen and victorious people instead of God's suffering people. And so we wait for Jesus to show up on the scene. And we lament the state of our world in the meantime. And we wait for Jesus to show up on the scene. And we lament the state of our world in the meantime. You see, lamentation is a prayer for help coming out of pain, a prayer in the waiting. It's raw. It's emotional. Now, it's not the same as a complaint. You see, the Israelites often complained. They accused God of not being God. They maligned his character. That is a complaint, but a lament is an appeal to God based on confidence in his character. Can you see the difference? When I complain, I'm saying, you're not enough, God. Look at what's happening. When I lament, I say, look at what's happening. This isn't who you are, God. Do something. Show your justice. Show your compassion. Show your mercy here because this isn't representing you. Completely different. Job 13, 15. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Yet I will argue his ways to his face. That's a lament. I can argue, but I am still confident in the character of God. Second Chronicles 35, 25. And then Jeremiah chanted a lament for Josiah and all the male and female singers speak about Josiah in their lamentations to this day. And they made them an ordinance in Israel. Behold, they are also written in the lamentations. It was a mandate. It was written. It was documented. This was part of our history. In the book of Psalms, there are 42 Psalms of lament, 30 of which are individual and the rest are communal. The whole community comes together to lament, to bring grief and suffering before God, to lay it at the feet of God. To pray for help to come out of painful situations. There's an entire book of laments called the book of lamentations written by the prophet of Jeremiah. And you know what was happening during this writing of this book is that the people of God had had their entire city destroyed by the Babylonians. Jerusalem was humiliated. They were suffering. They were in despair. And the book is actually poetic. It's five poems, four of which are alphabetic acrostics. And then the fifth poem evokes the alphabet with its 22-line structure. You see, sometimes poetry is a lament. The people of God have always lamented in communal settings. And we still do today. We are powerless before this vast multitude that comes against us. We are at a loss what to do. Hence, our eyes turned towards you. Second Chronicles 20, 12. Do you hear the pain? Do you hear the lament? Do you hear that there's nothing left to do but turn to God and ask for justice? 
We even have examples of hired mourners. Now they have a name. They're called morologist. And it still happens all over the world that you can hire people to come and mourn at funerals. Amos 5.16, therefore, thus says the Lord God of hosts, the Lord, there is wailing in all the plazas and in all the streets, they say, alas, alas. And they also call the farmer to mourning and professional mourners to lamentation. Jeremiah 9, 17 through 18, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider and call for the mourning women that they may come and send for the wailing women that they may come. Let them make haste and take up a wailing for us that our eyes may shed tears and our eyelids flow with water. You see, lament is biblical. And it's okay. And as we approach this season of Advent and waiting and we look around and it seems like more than ever, we need Jesus. We want our Savior to, to rise up and take his throne and he's here and we're, we're honoring it through our season. But it's okay to take a pause, take a beat and sit with God with what's not just or compassionate or merciful right now. Now, last year, the Foursquare denomination wrote a guide to lament, which I thought was perfect in its tone. And it tells us that what lament is not is this. Lament is not despairing. In reality, lament is a relative of joy. Think about what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 4. Blessed are those who mourn. There's something healing about mourning, letting go, releasing leads to our peace and our joy and acceptance of a sort. Lament is not whining or self-pity. Self-pity is just about me. It's about my pain. It's about my problems. But lament opens us up, connecting us to this larger story that God is writing for the world. We often lament on behalf of others. Lament is not guilting. Motivating people through condemning guilt rather than through the convicting work of the spirit doesn't change anything. It has to be a work of the spirit. But here's what lament is. Lament expresses deep sorrow, loss, grief, or regret. It recognizes that there are often no easy answers. Lament brings pain into God's presence. If we don't see the necessity of lamenting over suffering and pain, we will forget the reality of suffering and pain for others around us and ourselves. Do you understand that? That in order to see it for others, we have to acknowledge it for ourselves. It is necessary to acknowledge pain and bring it into God's presence. Lament connects us to a larger story with a larger God. When we lament, we leave behind this small story with this small manageable God that fits into our narrative and our trite sayings, our little boxes. It's bigger than that. Lament causes us to grow in compassion. It says, I hurt, but I see that you are hurting also. Now, let's be reminded not to be so focused on our version of the answer to your prayers that you miss the movement of God in the midst of the suffering. 
It's okay to lament, but look for evidence of God in the middle of your grief. Where is God sitting with you in the middle of your grief? N.T. Wright said this, it is no part of the Christian vocation then to be able to explain what's happening and why. That's no part of the Christian vocation. We don't have all the answers. In fact, he says, it is part of the Christian vocation not to be able to explain and to lament instead. As the spirit laments within us, so we become, even in our self-isolation, small shrines where the presence and healing love of God can dwell. We can bring healing to the world by just sitting and lamenting with the world at times. We don't have to understand everything around the pain. We just have to acknowledging this, acknowledge the suffering of a person or a group of persons. Now, Foursquare Denomination also gave nine steps to writing out your own lament. And I think this is worth doing as a practice, if only in prayer and maybe not on paper, if that's not your thing. But I want you to listen to these steps and maybe consider taking these into your spirit and forming a lament before God. The first step is to cry out to God. It's your address to him. The second is your complaint. It's your anger. It's your pain. It's your heartache. It's your sadness. Write it down. Say it out loud. The third is the affirmation of trust. You remember God, maybe in the past, God, you've delivered me before and I know you'll deliver me again sort of thing. The fourth step is to bring your petition or your request before him, your deepest desire after that, you can add an additional argument if you have something more to say. And often in the laments, we'll see a rage against enemies, especially from David, as he was in hiding so much from his enemies. And then the seventh step is the assurance of being heard. What do you need from God to feel heard? The eighth step is a promise to offer praise to God. And the ninth And final step is the assurance. That's the attribute of God that you are most thankful for in that moment. God, you are good. God, you are merciful. God, you are mighty. So I wanted to end this time. If you just want to sit quietly, I'm going to read Psalm 86, which is an individual lament, a very traditional sort of lament But it resonates with me, and I think it'll resonate with you. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant. For to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. And in the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. 
There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name, for you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. O God, insolent men have risen up against me. O band of ruthless men seeks my life, and they do not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see and be put to shame because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. So, Father God, we just thank you for this time that we've set aside to lament, to bring our griefs before you. Not as a complaint, Lord, but because we trust you, because we have confidence in your character because you have revealed yourselves to us to be a God who is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. You are merciful and gracious. And Lord, we, your people, need that today and tomorrow and forever. And so we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.